0: You are listening to the Five Acre Parables Podcast. And welcome back to the Five Acre Parables Podcast. Uh, with me tonight is my co-host and best friend, Andrew House. Say hi, Andrew. That's me. Hello. Now you're supposed to say hi, Andrew, to be sarcastic. Ha <laughs> ha are your dad jokes are you really big on dad jokes at all
1: so since they've become so popular i've kind of not yeah not leaned into them as much as i have in the
0: past once everybody's doing it that's like kind of take some of the some of the fun out of it yeah once we get everybody homesteading it's not going to be fun anymore and we're just going to go back to city life
1: Yeah. Well, homesteading
0: is
1: (laughs) homesteading gives you so much more variety than you get with dad jokes. Like you can, you can raise water buffaloes and a very rare strain of wheat on your homestead and I can do, um, something completely different, but with dad jokes, they all kind of overlap. Hi, hi hungry. I'm dad. It's pretty universal, you know?
0: Sorry. I'm still trying to figure out how we would get water buffalo onto the homestead, but that's how random this podcast is. If you haven't come to expect that already, uh, you don't know us very well. Sometime when we're not on the air, I have a story
1: to tell you about a former co-worker that raised water buffalo.
0: Okay, so that's the thing. Uh, if you would like to uh, donate to Andrew to get him to tell that story live on air, you can find his PayPal at. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Kind of leading in from that idea of variety, we wanted to talk about winter projects or things to do in the off-season. But before we get into that, we want to make one announcement very quickly. I want to remind you to check out Andrew's YouTube channel, Ugly Apple Homestead. I really want to see that grow and get bigger because he's got a lot of good information on there, a lot of unique information that you don't really find on all the other generic homesteading channels. So if you're interested in fruit trees or cutting down trees or animals or anything like that, get over to Ugly Apple Homestead on YouTube. And the other announcement is we would like to have, give our audience an opportunity to be a part of the show. And the way that we're gonna do that is we have an email set up And if you have any comments on any of the episodes so far, or any topic suggestions or anything you want us to talk about or just comment on real quick, uh, you know, if you want to send us your latest building plans and let us (laughs) give you our thumbs up or thumbs down or whatever you can think of, you are welcome to do that. The email that you can send that to is fiveacreparables at gmail.com. And that's five as in the number five. Acreparables at gmail.com. All right, winter projects. One of my favorite things about homesteading is the fact that it gives you routine while at the same time giving you variety. And we are coming up on winter. And that is normally the time that people think of, well, oh no, there's nothing to do. No gardens to grow. You know, there's no new baby animals really to take care of and that kind of thing. So some people may think that winter is an off season, but I do not agree with that at all. Andrew, do you agree with that idea?
1: Winter is one of my busiest seasons, ironically. Nothing is growing, the animals are not reproducing easily and yet I am still just busy, busy. It's just entirely different than what the summertime or the spring looks like. So what does is, what is your winter look like? What do you like to do in the winter? So it, it depends on what I have going. Um, one of the things I like to focus on in winter is tree clearing. I'm clearing timber uh, by hand with a chainsaw and uh, making firewood, making logs that could be used for saw logs of the sawmill or uh, the ones that work out quite right I can use for split rails to do wood split rails. It's something I like to do. They're functional and yet very, very pretty. I like looking at split rail fencing as I drive up and down my driveway. So we work on timber clearing and getting more grass ready to to grow to improve uh, soil retention while also getting it more usable for animals. And regular fencing is done in the winter fairly easily as long as the ground isn't frozen which if the ground is frozen here in missouri you just wait a while and it'll thaw out i always get confused whenever seed packets say as soon as your ground can be worked plant these seeds in the spring and i'm like i it is january 1st and the ground could be worked right now i don't think you know what you're saying like this is made for someone up north with permanently frozen ground Uh, But timber clearing, fence building, uh, bed maintenance in the garden. Uh, I make sure that I have plenty of compost spread out and then I clean out the chicken run that will clear all the compost, all the carbon that I put in there that they've mixed in with the food scraps and the manure and stuff. I put that in a pile and let it age. There's some other stuff, but those those are the big ones that take
0: up the most time. So what do you do? with the bed maintenance kind of continuing on with that, that's a compost that you've built up over the year, correct?
1: Yeah. So if we ever do a, an episode about composting, I'll go in a little bit deeper on how I get the chickens to make compost for me, but I do a like modified deep litter method in my big chicken run, which is, Oh, what is that? Eight by 16 feet with however many chickens I have running in there. It depends from year to year how many are working in there. Uh, But I throw a lot of carbon in there and all of our food scraps that they can eat. And then, you know, uh, stuff from the garden, uh, zucchini vines and stuff like that. Um, Pea plants that I tear down off the vine, let the chickens tear that up and work it into the, the litter. And then In the fall, I will shovel every bit of that out into a big compost um, stall bin thing that I have set up and let that sit for a year. And then in the fall of the next year, I will put what is in the bin and has set for a year into my garden beds and then put what is in the chicken run in the bin and then start throwing leaves and stuff to build up litter in the chicken run again to get it started going so whenever i'm i'm working on the beds i do uh deep mulch on all my beds so i pull back the mulch put in more compost up to right below the top of my beds which are short sometime if we talk about gardening specifics i can go into how my beds are set up a little more but i fill them up with compost and then reuse the mulch, I use straw mulch or hay mulch on top. And the old mulch is getting thin, it's breaking down, it doesn't work as well. So I'll pile it up about twice as thick as it was by the end of the the summer, and then put new hay or straw on the rest of the bed until everything is mulched pretty deep. And that allows me to have some peace of mind on, the compost not having any anything bad in it still, because chicken manure makes me just a little bit nervous, you know, to, to work with and put straight into the garden. So by letting it sit a year, it's had a while to work itself down and simmer down. And then I put it in the bed in the late fall. It sits there all through the winter, which much of our winter is not frozen. So there's still some interaction and breaking down going on. And then the early spring for the vast majority of what I what i grow and so it has several several months on top of sitting for a year outside of the chicken run and outside of the garden to break down and let some of that goodness get in the soil a little better and not have to worry about anything bad being in there
0: now for those of you who do not know or maybe you this is your first episode andrew and i both have five acre homesteads but his is in Missouri on the side of a hill and mine is in Kansas and is almost completely flat and so my question is is that the same thing that you do are you talking about your actual raised beds as well as your terraces because for those of you who do not know Andrew builds these terraces after he's cleared off the hillside not extreme huge ones although I want to see you do like an Incan level wall someday on your property. Uh, but he does these terraces where he uses logs to help flatten out a section of land to grow on. Is this what you're, uh, do you do the same thing on the terraces as you do in the raised beds or is that what you're talking about or?
1: No in, well, it depends on which terrace we're talking about cause I've done two different things. On the biggest one I've done, uh, I'm working on soil building in place. I'm not bringing in soil from somewhere else. I've put in rotten wood, kind of like a, a, a hoogle culture, however you say it, a hoogle mound, only not burying it in dirt. I'm burying it in old hay, uh, old leaves, rabbit manure occasionally, whenever I have excess rabbit manure, uh, food scraps whenever I have, whenever mom brings me excess uh, lettuce, and i have already put like a half dozen big bags of lettuce in the chicken run i will put some of the excess lettuce bags up there to put more organic matter behind that that big terrace wall but in my kern and gooseberry terraces i've worked on i don't think i've, I've showed you pictures of those yet i built another two this summer and filled them up with dirt and compost and manure and old limbs and stuff um on them i'm put in mostly terrible dirt that's been sifted and cleaned and it's much looser than normal soil around us around us normally the we have a heavy clay soil and it's very easily compacted it's it's very hard for stuff to grow in in those circumstances but whenever you sift it it becomes much more full of oxygen, much easier for water to infiltrate, much easier for stuff to grow in. The plants have responded really well so far. Uh, But I fill in debris and then dirt and then manure and compost, depending on whatever was handy and I had the most excess of at the time. So I'm fixing to load those up with plants. I've been waiting for some of my air prune beds to go dormant so I can transfer the plants into the beds. Okay. so what I'm what I'm talking about describing doing earlier, I didn't answer your question, really, um, is in my actual garden beds, which are not traditional garden beds. They're what I call a, a redneck stout method of gardening. So whenever we're on the hillside, you typically have to do something to get your soil level or all of your amendments in your soil after you work it will just erode downhill. So what I did is I made very short six inch tall beds that were two feet wide with 18 inch walkways in between. And then just stepped those down instead of fighting the hillside to try to get everything level. I just made those short terraces Mm -hmm. level. Uh, I'm calling them terraces. They're like terraced garden beds. And then just stair stepped them down. So it doesn't look nearly as stair-stepped but it's stair-stepped down in very short increments. And so those main garden beds are what I'm talking about, reloading with compost every year. My perennial beds are just going to have to to dig deeper to get more nutrition.
0: <laughs> let, let them just keep going. Uh, We're probably going to be putting our rabbit poop in pretty quick uh, since it doesn't really have to be composted all that much or anything. Yeah, we'll go ahead and load up all the beds. We're still today's date is October 24th. We are still getting tomatoes. Yep. Not many, but we're still getting tomatoes. So there is literally no harm in just letting those plants go and see how long it goes. But the weather is looking very much like we're going to lose them probably next week. Pretty quick. So yep.
1: Uh, like Monday, early next week for us. So yeah, same hey. here.
0: They've had a good run. Yeah, it's been a great run. We've gotten so many tomatoes; it's insane. But uh, one of the things that that I really lean into on the winter is, uh, I think I I do a lot more of this than you, just because I have more space to do this in. But I really work on like uh, mechanical projects. I've got a engine I'm rebuilding right now in a 94 uh, Chevy Suburban. It's a small block Chevy. It's a TBI intake. And I'm going to be trying to button that project up. So when spring comes, I will have another vehicle ready. And then I'm also going to be working on finishing rebuilding my uh, 48 Ferguson to 20 tractor that I have, uh, that I blew the axle out of a couple years ago, but I finally got all the parts and everything together. And that's pretty much just, I'm going to take everything in my garage and shove it to one side, set up a table, put those projects on it and just focus on getting those done. I have a dream of, cause I really, I really like making things a lot, making things that I can use. Um, one of these winters I'm going to buy a build your own muzzle loader kit oh yeah unfortunately I think my mechanic projects are going to keep me too busy this year to do it but one of these years I'm going to buy me uh which I don't want a flint lock I want a percussion cap because those are supposed to be easier (laughs) to do and I've never done muzzle loader before But there is a company called Traditions Firearms. I wish they would sponsor us. That would be awesome. But they do not sponsor us. Uh, But they sell muzzleloader kits, kind of like a Davy Crockett or Daniel Boone rifle. And I've always wanted one. Muzzleloader season is an awesome section of year that you can get an early season deer. So one of these winters, I'm going to be doing that.
1: Yeah, that that sounds like a lot of fun. It that's a project that I had in my like the back of my mind for a long time and it's just gotten away from me to the point it's probably never going to get done, but I have a lot of respect
0: for people that put in the time and effort to build their own their own rifle, which I'm buying a kit. <laughs> It'll be a kit. It's still going to take some time and it's still going to be somewhat impressive, but I'm not making it from scratch yet. It's a little
1: uh, more impressive if you if you bore your own rifling, you know, but that's still. Sure. Current.
0: Now, see, you don't have rifling on a flintlock. It's smoothbore. Some of them you do. Some of the newest ones. Yeah. But then you got to get a metal lathe and then we're just off into modern rifles at that point.
1: In, it'd be, a, it'd be really cool if you just built a blunderbuss, shove it full of forks and spoons and then have deer.
0: They They do sell a kit for that. They sell them in a few different places. It's Traditions Firearms. They sell quite a few different kits, uh, but they sell Frontier rifle kits. But they for $399, Andrew, you can have your very own 54 caliber blunderbuss kit. Nice. I would highly suggest that. I think that's something that you need more than anybody else. (laughs) And then you can open carry it at church. It'll be great.
1: Okay, so I looked it up, and that thing looks exactly like I would want it to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. This is a this is a soft promise. Next year, we're going to try to get kits. Get gun kits and work on them over the winter. <laughs> Probably won't happen, but we should try.
1: Do you know I have a black powder revolver?
0: I do not. No, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, so I've got a... Um an old Remington 1858 style revolver. I shot a pig with it. Oh man. When was that? 11, 12 years ago, something like that down in Oklahoma, whenever me and dad went on a hog hunt down there.
0: Well, kind of leading into that, another winter project is hunting.
1: Yeah, that's true. Trapping as well. If you're into trapping.
0: Yes. Uh, I have helped people with it, but I don't have the time or the space to do it really. Cause you do have to check them pretty much every day. Yeah. But yeah. A lot of times, uh, the old time settlers would spend their winters hunting and, and trapping and trying to continue to, uh, find some sort of production from the land, even though it's in a different form.
1: One, um, One other thing that is an option is processing certain things that you can put on standby until a later date. Like um, if you're into nut gathering, nut foraging or nut production on your place, uh, you can put hickory nuts and black walnuts in storage and keep them there for a year. So if you're pushing it, you'll start to get more bad nuts, but two years, they will last just in a cool room in a milk crate for a long, long time. And so you can sit there in the evenings whenever it's dark and cold outside with a good nutcracker and crack out nuts, which if you're in a hurry and you're not trying to save them for human consumption, just crack them up, like smash them really good and throw them in a bucket and chickens will go nuts. Oh, that's a, that's a pun. We'll go crazy for, <laughs> nuts any nuts. for nuts. but if you're doing it for human consumption, I mean, you can do it as well. You can make yourself a, a good nut pie, a pecan pie, or a black walnut pie, like a pecan pie, or use them for a bunch of other things, or just eat them if you're my kids.
0: <laughs> uh, definitely. I think we would all kind of encourage you If you don't have anything that you do in the winter really yet that you, uh, that you want to sit down and do, whether it's baking or crafting to some degree, that is the time of year to just sit down and say, I've always wanted to do this and I've never done it before. This is when I'm going to sit down and learn. If you want to pick up sewing, if you want to pick up leatherworking.
1: The winter time is a great time to get into bread making and such.
0: Yep. And your house will smell great. Yep. And you're running the oven. Uh, one of our least favorite things to do is running the oven in the summer. So, running your oven all the time in the winter will just simply assist with that.
1: Yep.
0: Uh, so, I'm going to, another thing I am going to do, which I, I'm not going to say who for because they probably listen to this, but I have some Christmas presents that I know I'm going to make. So, I'm going to, uh, I'm definitely going to be doing some more forging this winter, and I've got some uh, small leatherworking projects that I'm going to bust out my old leatherworking kit. I haven't done that in a few years, but it's honestly something that once you learn it, it's pretty simple, and it's just it's just t- sitting there in a matter of time. You know, I, I think back, i I've, one of my first introductions, I guess, to homesteading was the Little House on the Prairie series. And I just remember in those books she talks about sitting around the fire working on their needlework and listening to Paul play the fiddle. Yep. That's what that's what winter's all about is sitting down and and enjoying not being gluttonous with it or anything, but sitting down and enjoying the fruits of your year. Enjoying what you were able to accomplish this year.
1: winter is the absolute best time to plan what you're going to do in the next year. Like I'm a planner and I already have figured out what I want done in April and May, you know, by November. I'm six months ahead in planning out what my goals are, what I want to do. So if you're a person that doesn't have a set pattern for what you grow in the garden, the winter time is a perfect time to sit down and go through catalogs or or do some research on plants you want to get what varieties of tomatoes or whatever you want to get and plan out exactly how your garden is going to go do
0: you have any tips on things that people can look at for if they're wanting to do garden planning in the winter
1: i have a word of warning Winch, if we ever do a, a, a rookie mistakes to avoid yeah. episode, this this will be repeated. But don't get caught up in looking at seed catalogs <laughs> and reading their descriptions and the really cool yeah. stories. If you're me, because I like to grow food with a story and yeah. let your eyes get bigger than what your garden actually is and end up with too many tomato varieties to grow for the year or too many plants or you have like you have to write down how many garden rows you have how much space you're going to devote to each thing once you hit your cap don't push it and say well we'll just push the plants tighter together no set a cap know your limitations and don't make that mistake of just getting caught up in seed catalogs because They are marketing geniuses. They make that stuff sound so fantastic.
0: And you are sitting there in the dead of winter. You are under your blanket, hopefully in front of a fireplace, if not uh, just some sort of heater. You are longing for spring. Yes. And that seed catalog shows up. And you're sitting there going, man, I want to grow that, man, I want to grow that, man, I want to grow that, man, I want to grow that. And next thing you know, you've ordered $250 worth of seeds can happen in a hurry.
1: Yeah. You have to have a plan and stick to it. Otherwise you're going to do what you're talking about. You're going to blow your budget. You're going to blow your, your garden space limit. And you're going to be sitting there with years worth of seeds to put in the ground and try. And then those seed catalogs are going to show up again next winter and you're going to go through the same internal struggle.
0: So, there is a place, I just wanted to say this, uh, so we, our first year out here, we did a garden in the ground directly, because it's Kansas, you should be able to do that, Uh, but because our area specifically had a bunch of mining and stuff, we've had a lot of dirt taken out and put back in and some kind of weird things. That garden didn't really do well, and it turns out it was because it was nitrogen deficient, but our plan was we basically on that garden we just shotgunned it which sounds like the opposite of what you're saying not to do but it was a very it was a fairly not very fairly intentional move on our part because we wanted to see what variety of stuff what grew and what didn't and then the second year when we started building our raised beds we did the same thing is we had, and we were more intentional about it that time, uh, where we shotgunned it, tried a bunch of different things, you know, just went with a very variety to see what would grow and what didn't. And then this year, our third year, but our second year with the raised beds, we focused in on let's go for quantity over as many different things as possible, which is why we ended up with the huge amount of tomatoes that we did. We ended up with a very decent amount of of potatoes uh, a great amount of okra and then we had a lot of lettuce in the beginning of the season and it didn't really pan out later we had some garlic that did pretty well but it it really helped us too. Uh, so if you're going to do that just be be as intentional as possible if you're just trying to figure out what will grow don't get 25 different tomatoes just get two or three that sound appealing to you and know that it may, they may not work out.
1: Sure, and and what you're talking about is still fairly intentionally planned out. You know, whenever you're in the the beginning stages of being at a new place and figuring out how stuff works. And uh, I think you guys had drainage problems too, didn't you,
0: early in the year? Uh, are you talking about on the beds or the- When
1: when you were in ground?
0: Uh, A little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're still figuring out stuff like that when you're at a new place. And yeah. and so figuring out what's going on and, and what does well in your location is, is something you have to go through, but it's better to have it planned out and not let your eyes get big and then try to cram everything in there just because you already bought it all.
0: Yes, although I still have uh, peanuts to grow from two years ago that I've never tried growing. That was a impulse purchase, so. <laughs>
1: Did you um uh, did you study George Washington Carver with the kids before you bought peanuts because I can really see how that would happen easily?
0: Yeah, no. No, I just saw the peanuts in the catalog and was like, "Let's get those too. I want to try those." No, that was that was a year that the kids were too young to study George Washington Carver yet. Although we started doing that this year. So maybe next year we're going to have to be really intentional with trying peanuts. <laughs> Uh, Another big winter project that we haven't really touched on. Uh, We kind of have but kind of haven't any infrastructure that you're interested in building. Winter is a good time. Uh, We've kind of danced around this, but I really want to say, you know, focus in on like, if you happen to, uh, if you happen to be wanting to build a new workshop, I wish we both had the money to do that. But if you're planning on building a new workshop or a new addition to the house uh, or your wife has a bunch of projects you need to catch up on finish that bathroom remodel be intentional about planning to get those things done but also you know if you're wanting to try a chicken tractor next year this is the time to prepare for that as well absolutely uh, even even in the dead of winter you can still bundle up and get those power tools to work It's not always the the easiest thing in the world, but it can be done.
1: Uh, chicken brooders, if you're into raising chicks and such, is also mm-hmm. something right in line with a chicken tractor that you can build and have ready to go whenever it's the dead of winter. So whenever it's springtime, you're not scrambling around trying to get stuff ready when you have birds in the mail or you're going yeah. to a store to get
0: birds. Now it's kind of hard for us to think about right now, but toward the end of winter, like in January and February is when you're going to need to be placing orders for chicks, for animals, those kind of things. And you need to make sure that the infrastructure for those animals is there. So if you don't have a chicken coop or a chicken tractor yet, and you're planning on ordering it in the spring, you better have it done before you place that order.
1: Yeah, Don't, don't be the person that comes home with four or five baby chicks and goes, we need to build a brooder today and have yep. nothing in place for them. That's that's a good recipe for disaster and stress for everybody.
0: Yeah, the more, the more that you can plan out and research in those processes, uh, the better off you're gonna be for sure.
1: Winter is a great time to cut firewood, but I highly recommend you cut it a year in advance. So you're ready to go. You have no, you have an idea how much is already stockpiled. And so, uh, it, it makes better wood the next year, if you're clearing out freshly dead trees or green trees that are in the way. So that's something that I do whenever I'm clearing timber, as I was talking about earlier and making logs and stuff is making firewood and getting it ready to transport. I, I yes. try to get most of the wood cut that I'm going to cut and then leave it laying on the ground until then and then transport it all at once, you know, just over the course of a couple of weeks to where I'm going to stack it up and cover it for the rest of the year. But that makes for really nice, really nice
0: firewood. Makes for really good winter work, too. Uh, what, what's the old adage, Andrew, about firewood?
1: firewood warms you twice three times if you're bad at math but twice when when you're cutting it and whenever you're burning it
0: yep it's my favorite time of year to split firewood i would just say kind of as a last thing uh we've talked about this in all these different areas but winter is the time to dream really Yeah, we're all dreaming of spring anyway, but to to really I'd encourage you if you're looking at getting into homesteading, or you're looking at uh, just trying some of these things, that's the time of year to, to sit down. Instead of watching that 87th Christmas movie, we'll start watching some YouTube and start listening to some podcasts and those kind of things and start really looking at your books and gathering up your information and making notes and planning and dreaming, you know, uh, of what you can do and what you're capable of.
1: And I'll add just a tiny bit to that. Whenever you dream, there's an old saying from a, uh, a guy that used to work for Dave Ramsey. Oh man, I forgot his name already. It was Chris something. He ended up getting fired with a long, weird backstory. Hogan. Thank you. Chris Hogan had a saying that you need to dream in high definition. So whenever you're sitting there in your rocking chair in the wintertime next to the fireplace, looking like a a Christmas card, and you're thinking about the garden, think about specific details of what you wanna grow, how you want to grow, what style you're going to grow that that Mm -hmm. thing in and have those details in place. So whenever the spring comes, you're just, doing what you've already thought about all winter you're not trying to scramble around and figure it out as you go so dream with specific details in your mind whenever you're you're sitting there in the winter time
0: now (laughs) you said dave ramsey so i thought of this this is not something that we've talked about yet at all but obviously homesteading takes money and uh, the best way to have money is to not have debt, in my opinion, yeah, in many people's opinion. So, you know, it may not be the funnest thing you can do in the winter, but take an extra job and pay off some debt.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Also, I would add, well, this is a whole nother podcast topic, but just to be super brief with it, grow your homestead at the rate of cash do not be the person that goes so head over heels about homesteading that you take out a second mortgage to pay yep. for fencing and registered Nigerian dwarf goats, <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it's okay to grow slowly and incrementally. And that's going to help you be comfortable with the things you're doing, know your successes, know where you fail and things that are not going to work out without sinking an incredible amount of cash into it to the point where you're in debt.
0: Uh, debt, just taking care of debt is easily one of the best ways to homestead in my opinion, just the idea of being self-reliant. We talked about that a lot last time, but we didn't talk about money at all. And maybe we should have, Yeah, uh, but being self-reliant and self-sufficient, not having debts, to where you have to rely on other people or in the spiritual aspect that we talked about you know having to rely on the church to pay your debts for you is not a good thing at all and so if you're if you're got tons of student loans and everything else and you're looking to uh, to get into homesteading maybe the best thing you do this winter <laughs> is work for fedex and make buku amount of money in two months over christmas season and pay off a big chunk of debt. That may yeah. be the best thing you can do. Absolutely. And I personally, I'm looking right at the audience. We're not recording video, but I'm looking right at the audience and pointing at you. I will always respect anyone who takes the time to pay off debt. That may not be the glamorous thing that you want to do, that may not be the cool thing that you want to do. It may not make for a good YouTube video on a channel but I respect anyone that puts in the work to pay off debt.
1: Since we're talking about things you do in the winter and the winter time, you're a lot more limited. You have a lot more inside time. And there's a tendency to look around at what other people have in the winter time more since you're inside, you might be on your phone more or looking at social media or or even doing research as you were talking about looking at what other people have done and had success with. Don't let comparison steal your joy where you see these huge massive homesteads that have dumped tens of thousands of dollars in capital into their homestead and have been doing it for 10 or 15 Mm -hmm. or 20 years and sit there and then become deeply dissatisfied with what you have. Instead, plan for how you can actually do the things you want to do at the right rate. And don't let comparison steal your joy as you're sitting there, scrolling Pinterest or Instagram in December or
0: January. What a, I don't know if we're getting off topic here, but one of my most favorite and least favorite videos to see on YouTube, and there's a lot of them, is our homestead transformation in two years. What if we would have been able to get done in two years? And these people, I have respect for them. But they also, at the same time, kind of create an unrealistic expectation if they don't sit down and explain what they've done,
1: Uh, because most
0: of these people, what they've done is they've worked two jobs, made a bunch of money, had a big house and everything else, and they were able to basically liquidate all of their assets and just take the time to go, 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 go on their homestead. And so in two years, it's like. We took a barren piece of rock and turned it into the greatest fruit tree orchard, you know, goat production factory you've ever seen in your life. We built a 30 story barn uh, with all walnut interior and you can do it too. No, you can't, you know, unless you set up that way. You're totally I- right. <clears throat> have you seen, have you seen the littlest big farm? Mm-mm, I don't think so.
1: So I haven't seen the original video, but I saw a follow-up video that was on Disney a couple of years ago. It's all about this family that left their city life and took an old rundown uh, stone fruit orchard in California and transformed it and turned it into this fantastic place. They have animals and, and this beautiful uh, peach and plum farm in California, I'm doing a very rough paraphrase of what all they do, sure. but they they put a ton of work into it and it's all about the transformation like you were talking about from what the soil looked like previously to what the soil looks like now, what the farm looked like previously, it was old and run down and mm-hmm. in the it was in terrible shape and now it looks absolutely gorgeous and fantastic. But what they don't tell you is that they literally dumped oh man, I can't remember the numbers, but it was like 500,000 or $600,000 into that farm to get it to that point within a few years. Just incredibly unrealistic. And then whenever they were comparing the soil, they showed it like in the dead of late summer when California is dry and said, look how how rough and terrible this this dirt looks. And then they took, a picture or a video on the same spot in winter, which is when they get most of their rain, and said, "Look how rich and dark and brown this earth is." It was just, it was a little bit deceptive, and it com- it was completely unrealistic for what the vast majority sure. of Americans can do, let
0: alone other countries as well. Well, and this is definitely <clears throat> getting off topic, but those people that I was talking about on YouTube, and it's a lot of them. Um, if that's your plan, if that's what you want to do, go for it. Um, if you want to work for six or seven years at a really you know, intensive job in the city where you save a bunch of money, work on your assets, and then you sell all that and put that into a farm in two years, uh, a lot of these people go into it with the intention of, we're doing this for YouTube. One of our ad revenue or one of our streams of revenue is going to be this ad money that does come from YouTube. And so we've got to make it look really impressive. That's their business model. Yep. And that's fine. And I'm really not putting those people down. But I also at the same time want our average audience member and us because neither of us have done it that way. You know, we're, we don't want you to feel like because you can't do that that it's you know that you're not good at this or you're not you know it's not worth your time and it's not worth your effort just because you don't have that transformation just
1: just be just because you don't look like those people on youtube doesn't mean that you're not successful yes because you need to define what your goals are and your goals are probably not going to look like what that film set looks like on youtube
0: yes but again I'm not really putting those people down at all. Just I'm warning you, warning our audience members of the dangers of comparing ourselves to those people. Yeah, Because that's a business model. They put in a lot of thought to it. And it works, you know, because some of these homesteaders have six, 700,000, a million subscribers on YouTube. They're making good money. And that's a great business plan. If that's what they wanted to set up and do, that's what they set up and did. But the people that we're talking to and the people that we are, you know, that's probably not us.
1: I, I haven't rambled. I haven't rambled about this in previous episodes, I don't think. But the people you're talking about, there's nothing wrong with, with them. But they are not really homesteading. They are filming on a set. Their homestead is just the set for the content that they produce. And some of them, are starting to be really honest about that and that they are first and foremost content producers and homesteading kind of takes a backseat. And I, I started to realize that personally a few years ago whenever I was watching a video of a guy on a certain topic that I was I was trying to study some about and the guy was carrying three different cameras to do his morning chores to lead up to what he was, the video was essentially about. And a different channel that I had seen previously, the guy was constantly talking about the lighting. I don't know what's going on with the lighting. The lighting's not very good, but I'm gonna try to shoot this video anyway. And I was like, he he was more obsessed with the lighting for his videos than he was about the plants in his video that the videos were about. And so those people are content creators first and foremost, and that's a whole different animal than the nitty gritty homesteading that the vast
0: majority of homesteaders are gonna be doing. Sure, so don't compare yourself. You can use them, you should, I have, use them as inspiration, just don't compare. Don't, yep. don't expect it to look the same unless that's the business model that you're going to take. Don't expect it to look the same. Uh, but they're they're producing good content. It's a good business model. You know, it's kind of something I want to, you know. <laughs> yes, and I, I'm sitting here talking to a YouTuber here as well.
1: Uh, I'll tell you what I really appreciate in YouTube videos that I watch personally It's not what is popular. And I know why most of the channels that you've been talking about uh, up to this point don't do this, but I am really happy and supportive of the people that do this. Some channels will say, this is what the video is about. They get right into it. And it's a short, concise video with all the information I want from bang when I start to the very end and i really appreciate that because i don't want to watch somebody milk a cow and feed their chickens for 10 minutes before they get to the main topic of the video if that if it's something i really want to learn about i will keep fast forwarding until i get to that point but i am really appreciative of people that just get right into what the video is actually about
0: yeah are you that you know and they're creating entertainment versus uh i think you and then i would I would say that this is kind of what my goal for the podcast was. We're not trying to just create entertainment. We're trying to create education opportunities yeah. for education. Uh, so we're, we're basically just trying to, you know, be an encyclopedia to some degree yeah. while they're trying to create entertainment. And again, not anything wrong with that. Yeah. As long as you're not comparing yourself to them and being like, well, it's my second year and i've only got 10 chickens alive how do i not have 17 alpacas and 32 water buffalo yeah why do water buffalo keep coming up in this podcast (laughs) we're transitioning now and i'm gonna let andrew explain uh what his idea was in talking about this but the the spiritual application we kind of wanted to draw out tonight is about there being kind of an off-season or a winter season in our Christian lives. Andrew, explain what you mean by that.
1: So in what, what brought this to my mind is in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2, Paul is talking to Timothy and he tells Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience, and teaching and then he goes on in verse 3 to say for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths and so there's this concept that paul is putting out to timothy the a young preacher and he tells him that he needs to preach the word and then he goes on to say be ready in season and out of season. And so what that really implies is that there's going to be good times and there's going to be more barren times, kind of like we would associate in a garden setting or a homestead setting, summer and winter. And so what I was hoping we could do is draw out some spiritual things we could do in a an out of season time spiritually
0: in our lives. So I will steal the easy one and make you do a harder one, because I know and believe and can read in scripture that the number one thing to do at all times is to train, to increase, increase in knowledge, to increase in wisdom um, and then borrowing the words that the Bible uses to describe not only Samuel, but Jesus as a boy increase in wisdom and stature and in favor with god and man some of us are done increasing in stature but we'll never be done increasing in favor with god and increasing in wisdom and so uh the bible makes it very clear that wisdom comes from knowledge and so really even if it doesn't feel like it's the most important thing to be studying just any study of scripture is going to help increase in that knowledge, which is in turn going to help increase in that wisdom. Really it's, I, I would compare it to, uh, you know, training in the off season for bodybuilding. You know, you have an event later this year that you're working on, you got to prepare for it going up to it. And so read the Bible, read the Bible, study the Bible, talk about the Bible with friends. That's part of what part of the reasoning behind the podcast is so that Andrew and I can just have an excuse to talk about the Bible with each other.
1: Yeah. So, since you took the easy one, I will attempt to go off on a little bit of a sidebar of of something I think is pertinent. He's talking here to Timothy who is a preacher and one of the primary duties of Timothy is to evangelize and teach other people. We know that our society is not exactly what you could describe as white unto harvest as Jesus described. The fields are white unto harvest, he, he told the apostles. If you look around in America, the vast majority of people don't care about spiritual things, they have no desire to learn from you. And if they are completely ignorant, they are happy to remain that way. So whenever you find yourself with uh, no one that you can reach out to without just, you know, bothering people at the grocery store, which if you want to do that, more power to you. If you make some headway with somebody, let me know how you did it, because I would be curious to find out. But if you find yourself where you've tapped out, all of your Bible study people that you could try to get a Bible study going with, if you've tapped out door knocking for a while, if you've tapped out a bunch of other ways to reach out, it's never a bad thing for people with children or a spouse or even if you're still living at home with your parents to solidify your relationships with those people, to dig in deep, to the word together and train together like you are talking about. There is absolutely nothing wrong with taking your kids and saying, I'm going to take a few weeks, a few months, a year, whatever time period you set for yourself in this off season and say, I'm gonna focus on my spiritual growth and their spiritual growth. I'm gonna focus on getting my kids to the point I think they need to be and training them and bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord or your spouse. Talk about uh, what you want to study with your spouse, sit down and try to study with your spouse about a certain topic or your relationship. It's always good to study husband and wife relationships and duties so you can perform those duties the way God calls you to. So what I'm trying to say is there's nothing wrong with taking a second to not only fortify yourself, but your family relationships and spiritual growth in your family as well as your spouse. So that that, that's something productive I think you can do
0: building up your relationships and building up your support team. You know, for when you go back out for when you have another opportunity.
1: Yeah. Uh, Another thing that's a little bit more off the beaten path is you can look for opportunities to serve other people in your congregation. Um if you're in a congregation of any size at all, and I mean any size at all, there is someone that generally could use some help in some way. And we're not talking necessarily about anything fancy. And since we're not limiting ourselves to physical seasons and and since we're talking about spiritual seasons, there are points in the year where people could use help moving taking care of, uh, getting rid of old furniture, just little piddly tasks that you can help, little old ladies or widows or an elderly couple or someone that's going through a hard time in some way that you can assist them with, just being of service to your fellow Christians. And, and a lot of times Christians won't necessarily reach out and scream to the heavens, help me, I need a bunch of people from the church to, to come do things for me you have to go hunting for service a lot of the time and ask people, is there anything I can do for you Uh, during this time period? I don't wanna phrase it this way, but I don't have anything better to do. There's not a ton of Bible studies lined up or anything like that. And so you can just say, I I have some time that I could be of service
0: to you. Is there anything I could do
1: to help someone that might
0: need some help? That's a good way of looking at it. Just this idea of, you know, obviously still keep your eyes open for people to evangelize, but really just focusing on because we are told to give special importance to those in the household of faith. Sure. And so if we're too busy out serving the lost who are not, you know, responding at all and we're neglecting the house of faith, we're neglecting our fellow Christians, we're not doing it right. Uh, us taking care of our fellow Christians is supposed to be an evangelism tool. The world is supposed to see that in us and respect that and wish to be a part of that. Yeah, and I would argue that that, you know, uh, I see a lot of people and I don't you know what? We're not a national podcast. I'll call people out in the Springfield area. Springfield is known for having a lot of mega churches in the area. Yeah. Uh, And they are constantly looking to, to go bigger and go crazier, you know, and try to get more people coming in their door. Uh, one of them had a men's conference the other day where the speaker wrote in on a tank and I saw so many comments online, like that money that they bought a tank or rented a tank. I never heard which one they did. I would assume rent. I don't know, maybe their pastor got a tank as a bonus that year. Who knows? Um, The money could have been used to help the people that are homeless. There's a big homeless problem in Springfield, you know, and us not taking care of our own people at all, or us not taking care of our own people in the first place is doing the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. It's having the opposite effect. That is supposed to be the way that we use our money and the way that we use our time is supposed to be drawing people in and garnering respect for the church, not giving people a reason to criticize us. And so many of these activities—this uh, is kind of the end of the conversation, but I don't. It doesn't have to be, but many of these activities that we're talking about can purposely, or inadvertently lead to times of plenty and times of growth on seasons, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Because God is going to create opportunities for us where we least expect them. Uh, We don't have I, I, I felt like here in the work, you know, there hasn't been a lot to do in that for a while. And God had a random man come in and he's been a faithful member of our congregation. We help, you know, lead a study with him. I wasn't, you know, we it wasn't a neighborhood, we had door knocked or done anything. He just had figured out that this was the correct church and showed up looking for it.
1: It's really nice when that happens.
0: Yeah, it doesn't happen very often. But it was so nice. And he's been so faithful and so caring uh, about growing as a Christian, you know, it's not just, Hey, I got to the right church, that's all I need to do. He's been very purposeful in his growth. And we didn't do anything for that to happen. We that was not some grand plan by me, that was not some sort of new conference that we came up with. That was all God. Yeah. And so a time that you think maybe an off season, God may be opening the doors and sending the right people in to make it a time where you've got the same kind of work you've been wanting to do this whole time Yeah, of reaching the lost.
1: So you were talking about there being an opportunity to, to serve people and uh, James River, we'll just name, I'll name them. I don't know if you were planning on naming them or not. James River spent all that money on I, the men's conference. I had so- forgotten which one it was. It, it was James yes. River brought yes. in a brought in a tank and a, they had a monster truck or was that the year before? I don't know. Anyway, spent a ridiculous amount of money on pyrotechnics and, and all sorts of stuff at that men's conference. It reminded me, years ago, a person at, at the hospital, when, when I worked at the hospital, shared a sermon from the, this pastor that she really thought a lot of. And so whenever I was doing some online stalking of the guy to figure out, you know, what he taught, what was so special about him to her, he was starting a church. And he literally said, what do you people want to see and have in a church? And so he got this big poll and people could give him feedback. This is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. And then he literally went out and built that church. It's called the venue, if I remember correctly. And I'm not plugging it because obviously that's not how you build a church. You have to go off of what the Bible says, not what people want. But what the vast majority of people wanted to see in a church was acts of service, feeding the homeless, caring for people that were poor and in difficult, struggling situations. And to the guy's credit, he has went out over and over repeatedly and done that and done great acts of service. Now, he's wrong theologically on a whole bunch of issues, but whenever you see people, what they wanted in a church and they wanted acts of service, that really shows that people will recognize when you're reaching out and doing good to those in need. And it reminds me of John thirteen thirty five, whenever Jesus is talking to his, to his apostles. And he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Acts of service are one of the easiest ways to express that love and see that love between people. And so if we have the church and, and what we've been describing as an off season, that is like a prime opportunity to say, I love you and I want to be of service to you. Uh, And once you have taken care of all that you can take care of in the church to try to reach out beyond the church and serve those in the community around you in ways that you can.
0: What we view as an off season for our homestead in winter is oftentimes a period of great growth, bacterially and microbially, man, I don't know if I pronounce that right. Uh, you know, every once in a while you peel back the snow and start to see those plants coming right back up. Um, so the times that you think it's bleak, the times that you think it's desolate, are the times that God is preparing the greatest growth. So I would, use, I would use a spiritual winter, a spiritual off-season to have the mind of Christ or to work on having the mind of Christ.
1: To follow up on what you just said, that reminded me of Habakkuk five. This is stuck in my head since um, I taught Habakkuk uh, quite a while back. And this is stuck in my mind out of the whole book. This is what I remember the most out of it. And Habakkuk five in the second part, Uh, Habakkuk has been asking questions about God, respectfully, but like, why aren't you doing something about what's happening, God? And then in Habakkuk 5b, he says, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. So God, while Habakkuk didn't recognize that God was setting the stage for something huge to happen, Habakkuk couldn't see it. And so what appeared to be an off-season to Habakkuk, was what you're talking about. Something was happening. Habakkuk just didn't recognize it at the time.
0: All right. Have the mind of God. Be ready for growth and continue to grow internally. In
1: in season and out of season in
0: season and out of season. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast this evening. And I'll remind you if you're at the end of this, uh, we are looking for opportunities to get you involved with the conversation. So if you have anything that you want to add on any of our podcasts that we've released so far, we would encourage you to email us at fiveacreparables at gmail.com. That is the number five acre parables at gmail.com. Andrew, Thank you as always. Thank you. Love being here. You have been listening to the Five Acre Parables Podcast.